Welcome to Lobster Brain. Lobsters fight, and when they win, it changes the neurochemicals in their brain, and in turn the hierarchy of the lobster community. Each success makes the lobster more of a leader, and it becomes a top lobster. But why are we telling you this? Because in this podcast, you'll learn about how success can influence your mindset, strengthen your beliefs, and change your thought processes. But you'll also discover that it's both success and hard knocks that create leaders, or as we'll be calling them, top lobsters. I'm Danny Donerkey. And I'm Lisa Morton. And in this episode of Lobster Brain, you're going to meet former world champion tennis player Anna Ivanovic. She was world number one and champion at the French Open aged only 20. So Anna reached top lobster status at an incredibly young age, but that doesn't mean that life was easy for her. I was really excited when you said that Anna wanted to come on Lobster Brain because obviously when we've worked together, you've always spoke about her and um, Basti in such warm terms and I know you've enjoyed working with them. And for me, to know that she was like top of the game at, at 20, I was really interested to see like how that affects you because where do you go from there essentially? Yeah, I was so happy, Lisa, when Anna agreed to come on because to think about being at that level and having kind of effortlessly gone through her whole life to get there, she said she was in the flow state throughout and then she hits the top of the world and all of a sudden the thinking mind comes in and it becomes really difficult for her. And I don't think Anna's really spoken about this before and I think we're really lucky to have her here. You'll also hear us talking about her husband, Basti, who is Bastian Schweinsteiger. And Anna and Basti met probably five or six years ago and I was lucky enough to meet them and work with them in Manchester when Bastian played for Manchester United. Anna, thanks so much. It's really great to see you again. Uh, We met towards the end of your career when you were in sunny Manchester. And I wondered if you could start by just telling our listeners a little bit about the early stage of your career, your tennis career. Okay. First of all, it's nice to see you, Danny. And second of all, I don't know if you have enough time to hear the whole story. (laughs) But um, I started playing tennis when I was five back in Serbia. I No one in my family played tennis. I watched on TV. I really liked Monica Salas because she was born in Yugoslavia. And uh, I just forced my parents to sign me up for tennis school. And first they were reluctant. My mom tried to give me to dancing classes, which was not <laughs> very successful. Um, and then for my fifth birthday, my father brought me a small tennis racket. And that's how I started. And uh, yeah, so basically... A while ago. <laughs> that shows such kind of grit and determination at such a young age, though. So were you driven as soon as you kind of held that racket? Did you know that was for you? Absolutely. I, I must say I always had this, in a way, a little bit stubborn character, but also very passionate. So if I really liked something, I would do it 100%. And when I stepped on tennis court, I just felt that's my thing. And I was very, very shy as a child, very introvert. So uh, for me, tennis was my world. So even as I was growing up, I spent much more time with my tennis peers rather than my school peers. So that was um, where I felt more comfortable. We've actually had heard that before, Anna, through, you know, from a lot of athletes and the, the safe space is actually in, on the court or on the field. Is that how you felt in those early days? Absolutely. And not only in the early days, even later on, because um, I'm now starting to learn to 
come out of my shell a little bit, but I am still an introvert and I don't really enjoy too much speaking in front of people or being in a, let's say, spotlight. But um, yeah, so for me, that was my world. And, and it in a way, I think it's also a little bit necessary because you put all your focus and all your attention in, into that and what you love doing. And do you think that that passion and that uh, community that you got through tennis did help to build your confidence off the courts as you've gone through life? Yes, yeah, it definitely did. Um, but not not only confidence, I think it's also all the other experiences because um, I came from Serbia, we went through few wars and it was really hard. My beginning was super, super hard and there were many moments where I thought I have to stop. Well, my parents um, thought, and then I was lucky to get some sponsors and to and to sort of get moving. But I started very young, and I turned professional when I was 16, and I won my first Grand Slam when I was just 20, became number one in the world. So that's quite early, you know. You are just trying to figure out who you are. You come out of teenage years, and yet you are in the spotlight, and you have so many different requests and challenges, and it is overwhelming, especially if you come also from the country which doesn't have such a strong history in, let's say, tennis, for example. So you don't have many maybe mentors. Um, and for me, that was a big challenge to kind of over overcome all that. But I felt that actually this passion and love I had for game, for myself, was in a way a little bit gone or taken away because it was all these other people involved and all these other expectations. And for me, it was like I was starting to play for them instead of myself. But as you mature and, and luckily or unluckily in tennis, it's individual sports. So you do spend a lot of time on your own. And that's where you do the most, you know, reflecting and, and trying to, to see what works for you and who you are as a person at the end of the day. How did you cope with that, Anna, you know, being in that spotlight and, and feeling overwhelmed? I must say one thing that I had always amazing support from the first day on and even today from my family. And for me, that was really, really important because I could always fall back to that, to my parents, to my brother and to my close uh, closest family. And it was not easy at some moments because they were also unexperienced. You know, they tried to to help, but um, you are in the public eye and you experience different things. And whatever you experience, you actually experience with millions of people. And that was that was quite hard. So there were some years and some moments which which I really struggle. And I was kind of person who didn't want to talk openly if I had, let's say, an injury or setback and so on. So people judge just by what they see. But I'm sure you heard that from many athletes. What you see is just the tip of an iceberg everything else is like underneath and and many people don't see that and yet they judge um and uh, and i found it very hard it took me really a lot of self-work to overcome that caring about others opinion mm. yeah i mean that must be such a difficult thing we've talked to, to so many people who are very successful in what they do whether that's sport or business And if you want to be successful, you have to make yourself vulnerable, don't you? You have to put yourself out there for everybody then to critique your performance. So at what point in your life did you start to be aware of that? Because was that was that when you were were quite young because you were successful very young? Absolutely. And yes, I did come in kind of touch with that very early on. I must say one thing that I was in a way a little bit lucky that all the social media kind of came towards the end of my career, because I think that's what's 
causing a lot of stress at the moment, as I can see from my friends or other athletes, because it's very out there, you know, and people judge according to, to things they see, which is, like I said, like tiny tip of the, the iceberg. And yeah, it's not it's not easy. It's not easy to deal with that because, of course, you're trying your best and as well, you have a life, you're a person, you have feelings um, and trying to get all that in a mix. It, it is challenging. You said that you were someone who didn't want to speak about that. How would you suggest that athletes and, and other people in life kind of navigate, you know, people only seeing the iceberg and, and how easy is it to speak out about how you feel? And would you recommend that they do that? Um, you know, Danny, we also, you and I used to do some meditation and I think that definitely helps to quiet your mind. But for me personally, also what helped me is to dis distance myself. I, even nowadays, I don't read any comments. I don't engage in that. I want to engage with my fans, but I don't want to, to read all that negativity because it's not going to help me. It's not the people who know you that well, you know, and uh, I would suggest them to do that, to find really the, the good support team around them and people they trust that can be their day-to-day -day basis and try not to not to read and not to get affected by these outside uh, comments and I know that's the hardest part even in everyday life and you know like you have three young children and in teenage years it's very sensitive years for for them and they care a lot what their friends or the social media friends think and I do think they can sometimes get off their own path because of this. And um, that's what I try also to encourage. Well, my kids are very young, but um, to encourage young people to follow their passion, you know, no matter what, because some people do it out of jealousy. Some people do it uh, for whatever reason it is. But I think it's very important to know what your goal is, not someone else's goal, and then stick to it and follow that path and then really focus on that building that strength within your own team. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I mean, I've read also that you said somewhere, Anna, that you learning to deal with that pressure and the judgment, you learned about that a little bit too late. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, um, I really took everything very personally for a very long time. And I remember, actually, I remember, I don't know the year, maybe it was 2012. I was actually in Eastbourne playing a tournament there. And um, I was talking on, uh, on uh, FaceTime or whatever WhatsApp we had that time uh, with my brother. And I just remember one of his sentences. He just told me, but Anna, who cares? Who cares what others think? And at that point, that just rung in my head. And I'm like, you know what? You are completely right. Because you and even I used to look at others and think, oh, they do this, they do that. And you judge and you analyze and so on. But at the end of the day, it's it's my story, you know, and, and you when you play, you think it's so important. You think everyone is looking, everyone is judging, but yet they might say something, but they on they go on living their life and you keep worrying about what they think. And once you have that like relevation a little bit, you know, and saying, you know what, maybe I should just focus on my life instead of what they think. It really helps to get rid of some pressure and to try to enjoy more. Mm. We had Alistair Campbell on the last episode of Lobster Brain and he said exactly the same. He said once you kind of get out of your head and think that everybody's focusing on your mistake or your performance, you know, it's liberating, it really frees you up. Absolutely, because you think it's so important. And even now, in retrospect, you know, once you finish your career and you move on to different things, if I look back, there are people who, who miss you and who maybe want to see you play. But 
they have new people to watch and they don't think as much as maybe you think they would, <laughs> which is a little bit in a way scary. <laughs> but it's also, um, yeah, it's also liberating. Mm. And maybe if I, at that time, if I had a mentor or like I said, if I had someone who was more experienced about being in that situation before would help. But, um, you know, I tried to do the best I can, um, but it was very overwhelming. And how did that impact the way you played? I became much tighter. I started to to think about what everyone is watching, what everyone is saying. And it was also very unlucky because uh, like a month after, um, I won a French Open, so after Wimbledon, during my training season for America and for Olympics, I got injured and I got cyst in my wrist. And I had to withdraw from Olympics being like number one seeded there in Beijing. And that was very emotional for me. And I could not train, I couldn't brush my teeth, I couldn't, but again, People knew that I withdrew, obviously, but they didn't know to what extent, this, how serious it was. So, because I didn't talk about it. And I played US Open as number one seeded with literally two weeks practice. Um, and I just didn't feel ready, but I didn't want to miss a Grand Slam. And I lost, I think, in a second round, I believe it was. And it was just super hard. It really hit me because, of course, all the judgments. You're number one in the world now. Everyone expects you to win. And no one really knew what I was going through emotionally every day trying to recover. And um, that was that was for me super, super hard. And it took me a while to kind of recover from that and to understand, look, even though now I'm number one and I have bullseye on my back, it's still not normal that I win every week. I have to deal with even losing. It was not that easy to, to live through that, actually. Mm. And did you have anybody to speak to about how that impacted you mentally? So obviously, you know, outwardly, you've got a physical, you've got an injury. But like you say, you know, that low grade stress that you're experiencing and from a young person when you don't win the, the game, how do you deal with that? And was there anybody there for you so that you could share that with? Not really. And that's what was really hard because you couldn't share. I mean, I shared, of course, with my family, but they are there to love you and support you. They don't have knowledge of maybe the right wording or right way to um, to explain to you or to help you go through it. So, uh, and also at that time, it was very frowned upon to have a, like a mental coach or or, uh, or even to meditate. So. I only got like mental coach, kind of like someone who helped me uh, mentally later on in my career, maybe last few years. But at that time, no, not really. And you just try to fight through it and to train and to, to keep going. And I think that part has evolved a lot in a game. Now you can see players traveling with mental coaches. And um, it doesn't mean that anything is wrong with you. It just means that you take care of that part because as we see it becoming more and more important. And especially, I think, in tennis where technology improved so much. So rackets are improving, the strings are improving, and um, many players who didn't have certain strengths in a game, such as maybe a top spin or a slice or a strength, um, they could compensate that with uh, rackets and strings. So mental part becomes so much more important. I know, Anna, that uh, you, when you grew up, you trained with Novak Djokovic, didn't you? And he spoke, yes. he's spoken openly when his career changed. He said that a lot of that was down to the emotional wounds and that he healed with his father he was actually one that was quite open about it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's great to hear. And yeah, I know Novak since we were four, even before we played tennis. So we kind of grew up together and we are same generation. So we spent many years uh, playing together. And I think nowadays there are so many different techniques that are available to to people, you know. And, and I know many of even business people talk to me about it because they have meetings in front of their board or so on. And they have these anxiety attacks um, that they go through. And, and I'm sure a lot of athletes go through the same issues Mm. Um, and I think we just need to be more gentle and rather than judgmental because if you look into social media they are still very tough even though in the last few years it's becoming much easier to talk about people Play, uh, players or athletes are becoming more uh, open like Simone Bells or even Naomi Osaka she talked about her own struggles so um, it's nice to have this but that support I feel it's missing and in tennis we have to face press after every match whether you win or lose you go into the press room and the first question is well what happened out there you know and it's like that's not the question I want to hear that's not very supportive you know so I think we just need to be more gentle with one another. In those moments where you felt that you'd failed or you'd not given the performance that you you wanted and you didn't have those people around to support you mentally, where did you go to in yourself? How did you get yourself through those moments? Well, there were different stages in my career. There um, There was a stage where I would just literally isolate myself and try to be with myself and um, trying to run away with from everything and from hearing all that and going into my practice and, and my room and my little world. But it was not very helpful because um, one day or another you had to play next tournament and but you would carry this feeling with you. Mm-hmm. So once you actually talk about it and try to to share this and have tools who, which help you to, to get over it, um, I think that's when you um, when you start to feel liberated and that's that's when you don't judge yourself as much if you make a mistake or lose a match. And we spoke quite a lot as well about the you know the harsh reality of being a tennis player, traveling all the time, staying in hotels and being alone. That must be really tough for a young person as well, even just being a player. Absolutely. It's very intense life. I, I loved it. And like I said, I was very shy and introvert. So I loved spending time um, alone and reading a lot and so on. But um, you also do, uh, in a way, sacrifice a lot. Although I don't like word sacrifice, I prefer to call it a choice because you always have a choice. Um, but it is very intense. The season goes on for 10 months. And me coming from Serbia, I didn't have the best facilities to go back to Serbia and train. So on my weeks off tournaments, I would still have to travel and train wherever my coaches were. So I hardly ever, I mean, there were years that I wouldn't spend two, three days uh, at home. I would just leave out of suitcases. And that's intense. You know, when you're a professional for 10, 12, 13, 14 years, it really can wear you uh, wear you out a lot because it is quite intense. And every week you're in the airplane and you play all around the world. <laughs> That word sacrifice or choice is interesting because, again, everybody we speak to acknowledges the fact that they've had to lose something out of their life in order to gain the success that they've had. Is there anything that you feel that you have lost in making the choice that you made? Um, To be honest, not really. Maybe some kind of holidays because you don't really have holidays. The tennis season goes to kind of November. So you miss that summer holiday, summer fun with friends. And that's maybe one thing that I feel like 
I missed out on and and uh, or like nice I don't mean going out but like going to a restaurant and relaxing with your friends that's what you don't have because you are in the hotel room you're in a different time zone you have hard time um, even communicating with your friends <laughs> uh, let alone uh, let alone catching up but then again I also loved it you know and I, I enjoyed um, doing that and you know someone said um, someone said, if you can have everything in life, and someone said, yes, you can, but not at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so how is it now, Anna, after you finish playing? How do you look back on playing now? Well, <laughs> I it changed a lot. I mean, there are a few things that I would love if I could go back and change. The biggest one is that I would try to tell myself to relax more and enjoy because um, even though I learned a lot from my career up towards until the end I was quite stressed stressed and 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 high strung because like I said I wanted always to do everything 100% and I was super frustrated when it was not going the way I thought it would go um, so in that way I would definitely change that so try to be a little bit more relaxed but um now you learn you learn so much and it helps you a lot for for let's say next chapter in your life mm -hmm. and the chapter that you're currently in which is motherhood I, I listened to you on the olympic podcast and you were talking about making the ad adaptation to be a, a young mum and i think you said that the exhaustion from having two very young babies two young children probably didn't even equate to the exhaustion that you know you felt when you were a player but would you feel that there's anything that you, you've drawn on from your sporting career with the discipline and the i suppose the endurance that you can take into motherhood <laughs> <laughs> exactly endurance came to my yeah. mind <laughs> um, it is so rewarding it is so uh, amazing I always wanted to to be a mom and having kids was always on my list so I'm very um, fulfilled in that role I must say but at the same time having young kids and having these sleepless nights it is exhaustion that I really did not experience. <laughs> it's a different kind of fitness, I yeah. guess. So I admire much more my mom, but also other women who who still have young families and they still work and so on. And, and that's where I think your perception a little bit changes and kids teach you so much about everything. And for me, the biggest one is patience mm -hmm. and also that the control, because in my career and also being individual sport, you control so much. You hire your coaches, you have your team around, you control the tournaments you play it's all kind of controlled. So for me, that was everyday life. And all of a sudden you plan something with the kids, but next day they wake up and they're coughing or you cannot do things and, and it changes. So I really learned so much to be more flexible, to, to go with the flow, to not stress much if things don't go to plan. Um, of course, it's it's adjustments and sometimes our social life is non-existent, but it's all part of of um, the the joy of of parenthood. And uh, of course, now that's that's my main focus because the kids are still very young. I do have other um, let's say businesses. I just launched my cosmetic line a few months ago, so I'm very excited about that because um, again, that's something of my own that I was very involved. So my, that's my third baby or fourth baby <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel that being a mother you've given yourself some leeway and a little bit of slack around being perfect like you've you know you've put so much pressure on yourself in your sporting career so me personally I when I 
had children, I just thought like exactly, you know, as you said, you can't control that. So we've got to give ourselves some a pat on the back and be kind to ourselves because we've got no idea what's going to happen day to day. Exactly. And that's one thing that I absolutely had to let go to really realize that whatever happened that day was perfect for whatever reasons. And some days you need a glass of wine at the end of the <laughs> days and other days you are fine. But um, it's absolutely that, that perfection. And if I had that during my career, it would be much, much easier. And that's one of the things where I felt super judged while I was playing is exactly that. People thought that I was not applying myself and I was not doing 100%, whereas it was actually opposite. And Basti always said, Anna, if I worked as much as you, I would be so much better. <laughs> and I said, well, if I was re as relaxed as you, maybe I would be so much better. <laughs> and you know that. <laughs> So hopefully uh, the boys will get the best of both worlds. Yes, exactly. Except they are split. <laughs> one is like me, one is like us. <laughs> but I think I think um, it's a really good point that you make because quite often, you know, a lot of athletes, footballers, if they get injuries or if they're not performing, then people kind of criticize them and think that they're not putting the effort in when, as you say, quite often it's the absolute opposite. Yes, exactly. And for me personally, that was super hard. I found for me, that was the biggest actually battle because the moment I didn't have results as good as I had, that was the first thing. And that was throughout my career later on then. And I deep down, I know it's not true. I know I gave everything, but still it hurts you that people have this opinion. And I spoke to Basti often in the beginning when I still played and so on. And I shared this with him because it was very, very hurtful. And it's very different mentality in a team sport because if they are injured or if they are not maybe in the best shape, they they are maybe on the bench or they still have 10 other players to support mm -hmm. them. And in our sport, not. If you are not there, you, you're gone. And another thing is that I feel a lot of times in, let's say, football, they many times criticize coach, where in tennis they always criticize players so whatever happens even if the coach i had once coach gave me a tactic for a wrong girl he mixed the names and he thought and it was not like i still lost the match it was not him who lost the match but no one knows that you know it's my fault <laughs> so that was also super hard because i had to take responsibility for everything that happened mm. did you ever feel that it was just too much it was too hard and wasn't a love anymore it became a job rather than something you're passionate about well, that's where it changed a little bit after I won a Grand Slam and, and all these pressures started to build up. I felt that it was more of a job rather than love, but I still love tennis. You know, it was such a big part of my life and I'm so thankful for everything that I achieved coming from a small country and, and what my family went through. You know, they also sacrificed so much for me and just to support me. You know, they didn't know where this would take me or them, but it's, um, yeah, it's hard sometimes. So Anna, what, what are you learning about yourself on, on this new journey with your cosmetics brand? Um, yeah, the cosmetic, it's completely new, new thing for me. I'm uh, learning a new business and uh, your mindset changes a little bit. Also, just in a simple, uh, in simple way as when I was playing, I had to do press and now I have to do 
to do it to to kind of raise awareness mm -hmm. that I just launched this cosmetic. So my relationship with social media changed a little bit. So that's the first thing. But also just being in a business as a woman, as an entrepreneur, and I love it. It's it's something that I wanted to do always. I wanted to create something that it's organic, that is sustainable, that it's safe to use, um, and that it's also affordable to people. Because many times I struggle to find organic cosmetic that works, but also that um, it that it was affordable. And uh, I'm very happy with the results and how everything is going and we're developing new products. So hopefully we'll come soon to England. <laughs> Absolutely. And what would you say, what lessons have you learned that's completely new lessons from the career you had in tennis uh, that you're having in business? It's about communication uh, with people because in tennis you are so focused on your own little world and whenever you have to do sponsor visits or meet and greets, it's meet and greet you do it for the tournament or for your sponsors and that's it but now it changes a lot you um you have to communicate more with them and um to talk and i love to t uh, to exchange the the points of view or experiences because i'm really trying to learn a completely new thing and um it's not something you really <laughs> learn in school no and has it helped with your, you say, your introverted character? Would you think that becoming kind of more prominent in the world of business has helped with that? I'm still working on that. And then he knows how hard I've been working on that for a while. And uh, last year I did a few events of public speaking, which was for me quite new. I have you also lined up this year. So for me, this is coming out of my comfort zone but again sometimes where there is a little bit of fear or resistance that's where you need to go to to improve and to grow and um yeah and I love challenges so for me I want to challenge myself <laughs> to get better so just talking about challenges and getting better I read something that you'd said somebody told you that to be a success you had to have a short-term memory and I love that. So just tell us more about what that and why that resonated with you. Absolutely, because like I said, as I'm perfectionist and an intense person, I like to overanalyze things. And and I always, even with the kids, I'm like overanalyzing. Why did this happen? Why did that same with my sport? So when someone said to me, like, it's important to have short memory, it really resonated with me because it was like, it's exactly true. You play the match, you watch it, you analyze it, and then you move on. Mm -hmm. If you dwell on it, you live in the past. And it's not only sport, it's with everything. You know, if you have certain experience, but then you go on worrying about it, it doesn't really help. And, and it just drags you down and keeps you in the past. So it's very important to stop the thoughts and, and start new mm -hmm. and fresh. And that's what I'm learning also quickly with kids as well. <laughs> so, so much <laughs> and, and you know what's also very interesting that i kind of learned that it's not the thoughts that are problem it's thinking that it's a problem so thoughts do come and go and it's thinking it's our story about this thought that come up and 90 percent or 99 percent of these things never happen mm -hmm. you know it's just our imagination and the way we create and many times we live out of what we created and it it's not necessarily the truth or it's not necessarily what would happen, but just because we create and we convince ourselves that that's the way it should go, it has to go. Mm. Um, and it's so unnecessary. And that's where I think suffering comes from or, yeah. You're being kept stuck, aren't you? 
we had Mo Gowda on the show earlier in the, in the series and he refers to that chatter that goes on in your brain the whole time. Well, he calls his brain Becky because she was the annoying girl at school. But it's <laughs> like that voice that's going in your head. It's not actually you. It's not real. So you have to zone that out. I think that's great advice. Exactly. And the thing is that that voice becomes your comfort zone. Mm. And if that voice is gone, you feel lost and you feel like, okay, what do I do? There is no thoughts. I cannot function. I'm not alive, you know, and, um, but actually having that quiet mind, it makes room for better things. And, uh, we all know that if we quiet our mind, there is no limit to what we can do, but we just don't believe it. And our thoughts convince us that we don't, we shouldn't believe it because if we would believe it, that thoughts would not be there and that would not be <laughs> good for them. So it's very, in depth. And I think many people live day to day, not thinking about these things, and they create a lot of suffering for themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. I think there's certainly a lot of young footballers, Anna, and I th from the outside, there's a lot of young tennis players who struggle with the same kind of thing. What advice would you give to them? I think, first of all, it depends a lot on a person. Um, I think if someone is extrovert or introvert, I think makes a difference of the approach that they would maybe have towards that. But again, I think it's about self-work and self-discovery. I mean, I know meditation is not for everyone. And for me also it was very hard to do it day to day. But I think just trying to focus on, for me at the end was on technical things, on your um, game plan or these kind of things, it helped me to quiet my mind and that chatter because I would focus, okay, I, I would like to play cross court or I stick to the forehand or to back end. So having more realistic or like um, precise goals. But again, I think people should work on themselves and not be afraid. Many people don't want to. The scariest part is to actually look inside and to say, okay, I'm actually not good at this or I'm wrong. And this is the hardest thing for everyone, anyone to admit. But once you go through this process, on the other side is so much nicer. <laughs> True. Have you got to, in your life, one of the big highs of your life and then also one of the lows? And could you explain what they were and, and what you learned from them? Yeah, I must say one of the highs uh, for sure was winning French Open at the same time becoming number one. But I must say even up to that point, there were so many, so many highs because when I was 16, I played quarterfinal in the French Open. Then a year before I won as a 19 year old, I reached final of uh, French Open. I won many big events and um, it just felt very natural. And I was in a flow. I didn't think about anything. And like I said, at that time, there was no social media. I remember before a French Open semifinal, I was playing against um, Jankovic and it was between two of us, whoever wins that match was going to become number one on following Monday. And my team managed to hide that fact from me. So I was just focused on my game. I didn't think about what will be. And nowadays, there is no chance you can hide anything for two minutes. No. Um, so I remember after the match when they asked me and I was like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? I, I had no idea. And this was the beauty. I was really in the moment. I was in a flow. And later it became so much more about other things and consequences and my analyzing things. And 
I must say, of course, withdrawing from the Olympics in 2008 when, when I was number one um, in Beijing, that was very, very hard and very emotional for me. It was, of course, everyone wants to play Olympics and, and for their country. But I had also in 2010, I had a, a big drop in the ranking and um, that was a very tough year. I, I really, I felt lost. A lot of my team has changed for many different reasons, but I really found it super hard. And I was even thinking do I want to continue? Because it was really stressful to, to even be on a court every day. And again, a lot of things might have not been reality. A lot of things might have been in my head that I created them. But um, from then on, I really tried to challenge myself. Like I said, I loved, I was never afraid to work on myself. So I would go back and think and think. And, and within this thinking, something clicks. And then <laughs> like you start to get back on that more positive um, thought pattern because at the end of the day it's it's energy and what we create is what we get yeah i think that the flow state that you speak about a lot probably all athletes recognize that flow state and that's when you're at ease and you're in the moment and you're not thinking and then the next part is when you go into the thinking and it takes you out of that moment and you're either in the past or the future and i think you know people from all walks of life will recognize that Absolutely. And that is so easy to recognize and to feel. And when you feel that moment, it's, it's just a bliss. And it's really without any effort, you are in that moment. And it's hard. It's hard because I mean, maybe then you can help. But how do you stay in that state more often? Yeah. You know, and this is what everyone wants to know. And I think it's about working and consciously not following that thought and making the thinking um but but it's hard because it's habit it's what we are taught to do yeah yeah just saying that it's even if you apply that into say a business environment as well the fact that you didn't know that the pressure or the consequences of you winning the game improved your performance because you were in that that zone and that's true isn't it we can our, again that voice in our head or those obstacles that are put in our way can stop us from kind of freely just achieving what we can achieve without that being front of our minds absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. and also when you when I finished my career and when you distance yourself of course you have all this tremendous experience and for for life but um, you also see that there is much more to life than maybe you thought because your world is your sport um and now i have so much more so many more friends and and we talk about everything and they go through maybe sometimes similar things but just of course not in a public um uh, light or or whatever but we all have and and how many times you wake up and traffic annoys you or anything and you just create and you start the day very badly because you let these thoughts and thinking annoy you. And if you cannot change it, that there is no point of getting upset about it. It's you at the end, you are in control the whole time about whatever happens in your life. And um, this is what many people also try to not acknowledge. I think many people try to push that away and blame someone else and, and so on. But once you realize that it's a lot in your control um it gives you power yeah that, that's what danny's that's taught me <laughs> <laughs> we need to speak about basta you mentioned earlier that you're quite a stubborn character i want to know who's the boss in your house 
Um, well, I must say we are both very stubborn and very strong personalities, but we really get along super well because I'm more intense. He's more easygoing, more funny in that way. So we really complete. But with the kids, I'm more strict for sure. <laughs> Can I just talk to you about your views on um, women in sports and in tennis? Because I've also seen that you've said that you felt it was much harder to be a female player than it was to be a male. So was, do you think that was then, the when you were playing, or is that still the same now? I mean, there is no secret that men and women think differently and in a way act differently. So I think women naturally go through way more emotions, at least that maybe they show more um and in that sense i think it's much harder in a that people that women take much more things personally also um in in women's tennis at least while i still played um there was not too many friendships um you're your friends but you're not super close friends that maybe you share your emotions or your feelings whereas men i think they're they are much more together and much more communicating and and dealing with that kind of stress and pressure um um better also i think um there is a lot of judgment um over uh, women in at least in tennis over let's say if they have a boyfriend or not the man can still like serena said she's like roger can have kids and play i cannot <laughs> so it's it's true you know i think there is also that part that maybe woman feels she wants to be fulfilled in another way maybe she wants a family or so on Whereas men don't have to think really about that because they can have all that while playing. And people will say, look, they, they're married, they're stable. Whereas if their woman wants to get married, they say, okay, she's done. Also, what about the money? Because I saw that the highest paid athletes of all time um, by Adidas, that you're number five and in the top 10. And there's no other woman in that that league with you in the top 10. So how do you feel about that? <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> so there you are, at number five. And then the, you're the only woman in that top 10. I must say uh, that was a really nice part of my career. But I never, that was not really my main focus. Like I always played because I love sport. And that's what I was saying before. For me, it was about achieving and performing rather than all the other things that came with that, um, including money or fame. But yeah, I mean, I think... Um, tennis is definitely the most paid uh, women's sport and um, yeah and when we talk about prize money and so on on all the big events it's equal prize money between men and women on some smaller events or other events than uh, than a grand slam um, it's different men still earn more but um, it's very equal which is uh, which is amazing step for women's tennis yeah i think you've got uh, people like billy jean king to thank for that haven't you who was who was fighting that fight in the 70s Absolutely. And I think it's still it's still a fight to get uh, not only in, in tennis, in other sports, but also in in every walks of life to to get more equality between men and women. And um, everyone says we need strong women to come together. And, to, and I agree completely. We need to be more together and so on. But also what we need is men who gonna respect and accept women, because I think we still live in macho world where men don't really ac uh, accept women so as much as women need to stay together and still fight for it it also needs to change in men's world a little bit and how have you found that in the business world i i mean to be honest i find it that as a woman you are not always talked to and accepted the same way as a man and um, that's very hard because in sport i understand we have different ability women's body cannot physically do maybe what male body can do but 
in other walks of life, I mean, we we both think <laughs> and we both have uh, different talents. So it's it's very hard when you when you realize that they don't really take you seriously. But then again, my character is always, you know what, you work hard and you you show what you can do. In tennis, we do we let the racket do the talking. <laughs> <laughs> when you retired, how did you feel? Because your identity was a world top ranking uh, tennis player. The day after you retired, how did that affect who you saw yourself as being? I must say that was one of the hardest decisions of my life. And actually, I talked to, through that with Danny when, uh, when I was thinking <laughs> right. about that. And we were uh, doing a lot of work around that, uh, that moment. And it was very, very hard for me to, to step back because it was my, my life for so long. Um, but I had um, really passions for other things. And I... I already could see what I wanted to do um, uh, later in life. And um, not necessarily did I plan to have kids immediately, but just I had different uh, ambition because I felt like tennis has opened up so many doors and so many possibilities for me to do and to give back to the world or um, to athletes or people in general. And that's what is still my goal. I still want to raise awareness about, especially teenagers, um, following their values and following their paths. Because I think so many uh, young people give up on their dreams or follow the path which is not their path which is maybe what parents want or what their friends think it should be good for them. Um, and I want to encourage them to stay strong and to be motivated to be on their path. I mean, like I come from, from Serbia and like I said, we were a country that went through so many wars and everyone said you can't make it. Like, what are you doing? Um, but I just didn't think much about it. I just followed my steps and I saw where, like I was really looking where it's going to take me the next day and the next tournament. So, and I know how important it is. We all have inside of us that voice that tells us what our path is, if we just want to listen. Yeah. And your philanthropic work that you're doing, a lot of people we speak to really feel that having that purpose-driven work, which they're privileged to be able to do based on their success, is is vitally important to the the new identity post, uh, say, retirement. So how much does that drive you now, would you say? Um, yes, and I do know a lot of people that after career, they might find it a little bit hard because so many things are gone all of a sudden from one day to another. But I work with UNICEF as well since 2007. Um, at the moment, I'm focused mostly in Serbia and we do different programs. And that is also super rewarding because I love kids. I love working with young people. So we did the School Without Violence program for many years, which had more than 60% of violence in schools. Um, so we try to reduce that uh, to, to bring more awareness about how we talk to each other and, and to to, to reduce bullying. Um, also, last few years, I did um, some work with neonatology, just to, to share that importance of skin to skin contact and so on. And uh, also trying to uh, raise awareness and education for girls, because there is still so many underage uh, marriages worldwide. And uh, of course, some countries more than the others, but just to raise awareness of how important education is and, and, and to make them realize that they actually have options. Anna, I'd just like to thank you for your time today. I think you're a huge inspiration to me and I'm sure to many, many young women and men around the world. And I hope that you, in your life now, you continue to push those boundaries of your own comfort zone and, and touch more and more people in your life. 
Thank you so much, Danny. <laughs> I miss working with you and I hope we can meet soon again in person. And Lisa, it was very nice to meet you. Thank you so much for your time, Anna. It's been great to talk to you. Danny, I really, really enjoyed that conversation. Anna is such a warm, open person. It was like chatting to a friend and I've only just met her. So yeah, what did you think about that? Was she different in that conversation perhaps than she's been when you've done a one-to-one with her? Yeah, I I was really happy as well, Lisa, that she was so open and honest about her career and her life. She described her career at times as feeling overwhelming and it felt so stressful just to be on the court. And we've spoken to a lot of athletes now who have similar feelings, but with Anna, it seemed like it was really extreme. And I think, you know, listening to her can can help a lot of people. What were your first impressions of her? Well, I think I really felt for that young person who, although she had so many people surrounding her who were experts in tennis, she didn't actually have anybody to talk to about her anxiety and you know, I could almost imagine how isolated she felt at the time. And even though her family were very supportive and they'd done everything, they'd made all those sacrifices for her, they weren't the people to talk to her or to make her feel better about her own anxiety. And she said it probably came too late in a way for her because that time when she was in Eastbourne and her brother said, nobody cares. And even though that's a bit of a dent to your ego, which she acknowledged, it's quite true. And and she's found that liberating and and helping her as she moves forward in a new career now. Yeah. And it really struck me when she mentioned about the iceberg and what people on the outside see is only the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, all the thoughts and feelings and suffering that she was going through, nobody knew. And like you say, because it's an individual sport, it's even more isolating than a team sport. And I think Anna mentioned about the differences in her personality to Basti's. And that was quite uh, fascinating to see firsthand because Basti's like this really relaxed, super, super confident guy, like the most confident guy you'll ever meet. And and Anna's obviously, you know, she, go, she it's more difficult for her to be as relaxed. And I think she's come to that in later life. So that was really interesting to see. Definitely. And I think what comes out of this for me is that, you know, talking helps that there's definitely still a stigma around being an outwardly successful person, but internally having real doubts and challenges about yourself. And I think, you know, that is changing, but definitely what I think comes out of this conversation is the importance of sharing that. And if if you don't have that person, you know, in your life um, immediately or naturally or organically, you need to go and find that person. And clearly the work that she's done with you, Danny, has made a, a big difference to how she's been able to approach a new career with more confidence. It's really interesting as well, Lisa, how, you know, she's still going through those changes now in her new career. And she still describes herself as an introvert. And, you know, in the last year, she's spoken in public a few times. And for somebody who's spent their whole life in the spotlight, you know, speaking to media after every game, it's a testament to her self-determination and courage really that she got through that at such a young age the thing that I learned most from this podcast with Anna was how her thoughts impacted her flow state and that impacted her physiology and she became tighter and she was no longer able to be in that flow state and, and perform at the highest level because of the thinking and it's only now that she's able to kind of get some sort of control over that thinking mind 
Lobster Brain will be back on the 2nd of February with former US national team Manchester United and Everton goalkeeper Tim Howard. Tim is currently a pundit for NBC Sports in the US. I think what you'll take away from this conversation is a true understanding between the difference of self-confidence and self-belief. In the meantime, please remember to rate, review and follow. That way more people will get to hear about Lobster Brain and the next episode will drop into your feed as soon as it's ready.